Okay, good morning. Good morning. Our passage today is 1 Peter 2, 1 to 12. So let's listen to the word of God. Okay. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, Behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which war against wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the nations that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Thanks be to God. In our passage today, Peter uses many wonderful metaphors to help us understand better our position in Christ, how we are to live out the holiness to which God calls us because of what he has imparted to us by the spirit of the living Christ. These pertain to our feet, that is, our walk with Christ, our stomachs, what we are to eat, and how we are to relate as living stones to our Savior, who Peter calls the living stone. The word rock is often used in scripture, especially in the Psalms, to refer to the Lord. The Lord lives, praise be to my rock. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The biblical use of rock is laced with the idea of reliability and refuge. Jesus tells us to build our houses, that is our lives, upon the stable rock, Petron in Greek, that is God's love, wisdom, and salvation. We are to drink from the same spiritual rock, Petrus, That was Christ, as our fathers did when following Moses. And Jesus said to Peter, Petros, on this rock, I will build my church. But Peter, in our passage, in referring to us and to Jesus Christ, uses the word lithon, stone. Except when he refers to a rock that makes men fall. In English, the word rock usually refers to a large, rugged mass of hard mineral and the word stone to a smaller piece of rock that is more easily moved. 
a pebble even, but most likely with a crystal structure. Stones are often found embedded in rock, and stones of rare occurrence are referred to as gemstones and are often described as precious. We know that when stones lie in our pathway but are ignored, they can cause us to stumble. We also learn from scripture that the road leading to the promised land is a narrow one and passes through many a wilderness where our vulnerability will be keenly felt. There will be many stones encountered along the way. But Peter warns in this passage that there is one such stone we had better not ignore or try to walk around. Many have to their peril. That is because this is the stone that actually lights our way. And this is also the stone God has chosen to be the cornerstone of his spiritual house that holds life together now and forevermore for every person who comes to him in order to be built up in him. Without him, we stumble in the dark and build our lives on sinking sand, as we sang earlier. So Peter knows that Jesus Christ is both and. He is our rock and redeemer, and he is the living stone and the light of the world. It is the living stone's nature that we are to reflect in our lives, as Janice pointed out last time. We as living stones are to capture and return Christ's light while we are being built into a spiritual house, which is laid on a sure rock foundation. And we'll take a closer look in a moment at how this Holy Spirit means to accomplish that. But first, let's review what Peter says about eating. Peter knows we have to eat to live. It's what we eat that matters. Not everything is good for the body, and there are diverse physical appetites. Paul in Corinthians 6.13 ties his thought to Peter's exhortation at the end of our passage where he says to abstain from passions of the flesh. Paul writes, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body, because our bodies are members of Christ himself. Instead, we are to feed on the word of God. This is how Jeremiah put it in 1516. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Once we have had this experience, Peter says, and have tasted that the Lord is good, taken from Psalm 34, we should crave spiritual milk and long for more spiritual food in order to become spiritually mature. And that is because of the therefore that begins our passage today, which harks back to 1 Peter 1.23, where he reminds us that we have been born again through the living and enduring word of God. We are newborn babes in Christ, and we are to grow up into Christ, Ephesians 4.15. We read in scripture that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, and Jesus was tempted by Satan when he was experiencing hunger in the wilderness. Satan taunted him with, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered him with, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
And we can take note that Jesus' refusal to succumb to the enemy led to his being identified for us again as both and. He is both the bread of life and the living stone. So let us now take a closer look at what it means for us to be living stones in his image. Some of you know that I have spent a lot of time thinking and writing about gemstones, and especially how they are presented to us in scripture and what their meaning is for us. And in our passage today, Peter makes reference to holy priesthood and sacrifices in Zion because he is calling the attention of his listeners to the temple in Jerusalem where God met with the high priest who offered blood sacrifices on behalf of the people for the atonement of their sins. The high priest carried the tribes of Israel as gemstones on his breastplate when he entered the Holy of Holies. And those listeners now know that it is Jesus who is our great high priest, and the sacrifice he offered on the cross was offered as a one-time atonement for all of our sins. So it is they and we who are now the people of God, who are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We are now the priests making up a holy nation who offer those spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, we the living stones. The word living seems to suggest the exact opposite of what we might think best describes a hard, inorganic stone. But here's an interesting tidbit. (laughs) Both Solomon's and Herod's temple, which Peter's audience, though scattered, would have been familiar with, were made of large blocks of limestone, a sedimentary rock made up of mostly calcite, whose primary source is most commonly marine organisms such as coral and other fossils. That is, the temple was made up of created things that were once living. I just like the whole continuity of life feel of that. I also find it interesting that certain precious gemstones are sometimes found embedded in limestone, such as emerald, onyx, and jasper. It makes me think of the apostolic foundation stones of the New Jerusalem described in Revelation 21 that are decorated with various precious gems. In the holy city of the New Jerusalem, the glory of God and the Lamb are described in gemstone language. And it is there in the holy city that the wedding supper of the Lamb will take place, that whole banquet meal to which we are invited and for which we hunger, but now have only a taste. Continuing to explore the metaphor of living stones, I wonder if any of you have ever looked inside a stone, a gemstone, with a jeweler's loop, or better yet, with a gem microscope. Because if you have, you'll know you've entered another world, a world of Earth's recycled memories, a world of dazzling color and pattern, much like the scuba diver finds among the coral reefs. A world that, as one agnostic physicist recently reluctantly observed, seems more beautiful than strictly necessary. <laughs> and instead of observing mineral stasis there, viewing becomes a time travel experience where we gain access to the workings of God long before man appeared. We see some of Earth's biography written by God. We see the result of exotic chemical couplings where the distant past is compressed within each stone. 
It offers a continuous flow of prophecy going back to when our living stone Christ was made ruler over the works of God's hands, Psalm 8, and who was in fact with God in the beginning, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Each stone has a story to tell, and so do we. My study of gemstones has taught me that the hidden splendors that mineral creations reveal demand reverence. And to quote Barbara Brown Taylor, reverence requires a certain pace. This is true for both the living stone and living stones. I believe God puts gemstones into scripture because he wants us to have a full understanding of the word precious from the Greek timios something that has been obtained at great price. Peter wants us to know how Jesus, the living stone, is precious and how we, his living stone children, are precious to him and should also be precious to one another, precious in the Lord. We are precious stones because we are built into the precious stone. And that's why Peter addresses us as beloved in 1 Peter 2.11. A better translation, I think, of the Greek than friends, though Jesus does call us friends. God uses the word precious to describe something valuable, beautiful, beloved, and holy. Often in my studies, I have felt that I was standing on holy ground, that I should somehow take off the sandals from my mind and tread lightly when contemplating the way our God has designed, colored, and patterned his creation. Suge Avery, in the book The Color Purple, said, I think it pisses God off if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. And perhaps that's a bit crude, but I believe it is true, nevertheless. Our call, as it was to Moses, is to turn aside, to behold, as in behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And we are told when we, his living stones, do notice and believe in him, we will never be put to shame. That means that ultimately we will be honored for our trust in him, as Peter says in verse 7. In Psalm 34, 5, David writes, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. For a gemstone's beauty and artistry to be fully revealed, it takes light. Precious stones form deep within the earth, in the dark and under great heat and pressure. These stones cannot exhibit the life or brilliance in any observable way that their little atoms of crystalline excellence have combined to produce until they've been brought out into the light of day. And then for them to be able to demonstrate their full potential, they must be placed into the hands of a master cutter who transforms their rough form into a fully cut gem with facets or faces that can interact with and reflect the sun's light. And it's the same for living stones, with the sun's light, S-O-N. Donna gave us a great example a few weeks ago of how gold is purified by being placed in a crucible where it undergoes melting until the dross or waste materials have been burned off. Something analogous to this is when a master cutter removes anything within a gemstone that impedes light transmission. 
Our master cutter is the Holy Spirit. As with the purification of gold, the Holy Spirit will turn up the heat and remove whatever is in us that would keep us from becoming brilliant reflectors of our Lord. The process will be painful, but the result is we will end up transparent and whole, even holy. God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness, writes Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4.7. God will cut away anything that defaces his image. It has always been interesting to me knowing that God told Moses to make a tabernacle, a pavilion, which later became a temple, to discover that the light-gathering bottom portion of a faceted gem is called the pavilion, and the light-dispensing top portion of a faceted gem is called the crown. I always think for living stones of crown him with many crowns, jewels in his crown, and so forth. I am pretty sure it was someone of the Jewish faith, however, who came up with those names. So what are some of those things Peter says must be removed? He mentions in this passage malice, hypocrisy, deceit, and slander, all forms of antisocial behavior which make up active ill will toward our neighbor. All of these behaviors interfere with how we love one another in the Lord, to take up Janice's fourth point in her earlier talk. We living stones are not to engage in any form of hypocrisy where we outwardly play a part which appears acceptable but inwardly are serving our own interests. In other words, we should not wear masks that would inhibit transparency. Peter reminds us in this passage to remember our former state. Like gemstones, we were once in the dark and knew not the Lord's merciful light. Now we have become bathed in it. We are now children of the light, and it is a holy calling, and we are to recognize the light in other living stones, and even potential living stones. To recognize another takes sight as well as light. We must see one another. Taylor says to see takes time, like to have a friend takes time. It is interesting to consider that the taste and see that the Lord is good of Psalm 34 demonstrates to us that cultivation of taste for the Lord leads to vision. Furthermore, Peter and Paul say together we make up the temple of the living God and are a holy priesthood. That means we have continual access to the presence of God. Our spiritual sacrifices, that is our prayers and work for the kingdom, are because of Christ acceptable to God. And as with the high priest Aaron and others of the Old Testament priesthood, the Lord is our inheritance. So together, Peter says, we are to declare his praises. And what does declaring his praises entail? Even now, in this not yet liminal space here on earth that Janice mentioned, What happens when we truly understand that we are living stones, living now and living eternally, and know that the now of our life is not bound? Jesus said that if his disciples were to keep quiet, the stones themselves will shout. And well, now we are those stones, and we must shout out our praises. Psalm 22 declares that the Lord is enthroned on the praises of Israel. 
And he is also enthroned on our praises and on those gathered in the throne room who praise him even now with the words, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. Praising also includes singing. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. Scripture has many references to Jesus singing and praising God. We sing, as we did, when the morning falls on the farthest hill, I will sing his name, I will praise him still. And when dark trials come and my heart is filled with the weight of doubt, I will praise him still. Sherry Larson passed on to me an article recently about all the positive effects of singing. Singing heals. It states that there is scientific proof that when we sing, especially together, we are altering molecules inside our brains for the better. And laughter, Anne Lamott adds, is carbonated holiness. (laughs) With singing, there may also be dancing. You will remember David danced before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant was returned to the city of David. The prophet Jeremiah told Israel in 31.4, I will build you up again, and you will go out to dance with the joyful. And in Psalm 30, David wrote, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. And I read that it's been an ancient church custom that this Psalm 30 be prayed and sung on Sunday, the day of the Lord's resurrection. And that is because the song we sing is a new song, characterized by a particular kind of newness, of renewal, of new life. The one who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And that is our living hope. Speaking of hope, we can remember that it was Peter who preached Psalm 16 on the day of Pentecost where he quoted David in describing the resurrection of Christ. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life and you will make me full of joy in your presence. So we living stones know the grave cannot rob us of our inheritance, our future life with Christ. And as I once heard Joe Oldham say, our suffering here cannot rob us of our joy, even in this life. Tomorrow we know is Valentine's Day, and in less than one month we shall celebrate Easter. So tomorrow be sure and tell the Lord and other living stone saints in your life how much you love them. And give them a blessing. Henry Nowen wrote, To give someone else a blessing is the most significant affirmation we can offer. It is to say yes to a person's belovedness. And bless other ones too, those who have perhaps not yet tasted the Lord and found just how good he is. So I will close this with a lovely prayer I once discovered. And then let us together alter those little brain molecules of ours and sing one more refrain of I will praise him still at the end. Let's pray. Eternal light, we pray you will ignite our eyes and scatter the darkness of our ignorance of your ever-present mercies 
Continue to shine your healing rays upon us until we become a holy and pure reflection of yourself. Amen.